be in Luke chapter 22 and chapter 23 um, today, and I, I, uh, we'll be in verse, in 22 we'll be in verse 45 through 62, and in 23, verse 18 through 26. Um, like you said, my name's Austin Davis, this is my wife right here, uh, Elizabeth, and my little daughter, Eleanor. Um, she's uh, three months old tomorrow, so we're getting into that, y'all know how that goes. If you got kids, uh, we're trying to figure out uh, what it looks like. To take care of a little baby that's a crazy thing um but uh it's been it's been really nice um a uh, little background about me i'm not originally from anderson county uh i grew up most of my life in morristown tennessee uh my dad is a pastor he wasn't a pastor my whole life he kind of got called into ministry when we were in, when i was in middle school um i got out of high school and uh basically right after that i went and joined the military served six years in the air force uh, and it was during that time that God called me to ministry and all the things that that has to do with. Uh, it's funny, I, uh, I started out in uh, ministry uh, through a teacher uh, in a Bible study. They looked at me and they said, you're not just supposed to be a part of this small group within the church. You're supposed to be a part of the church in its entirety and serve in different aspects. And, and I was like, okay, so... That's what I'll do, and so I, I went to our youth department, and I started out wiping tables. Seriously, that was the first thing I ever. As the first service I ever did in the church was wiping tables, and that was about four and a half years ago. And now I'm the student pastor. That's how God works, right? Um, and so from wiping tables to to pastor preaching. Uh, so hey, that, that's my story in a nutshell. And so let's just dive in. We'll dive in. I'll read this scripture. And then we'll pray, and then uh, we'll get into, really, I'm going to tell a story today. And so I just want to tell you this story and, and, and hope you get something from it, and I pray that we will. So we'll read. Starting in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 54, it says, Then they seized him, that being Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And, at, and a little later, someone else uh, saw him and said, You also, you're one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and he, uh, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he, Peter, wept, went out and wept bitterly. Now let's jump to 23 verse 19. But they all cried together. Um, they all cried out together, away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death, I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man, 
who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus, uh, the creator of all things, to become his creation and walk among us and to live selflessly and do the most selfless act we've ever seen to give his life for us. So God, speak to us. Teach us one thing, Lord, about Jesus. Teach us one thing about Jesus that that will not just stick in our head, but that will, that will change the dark parts of our hearts, that will open up those dark areas to your light so that it may be lived out in our lives, God. We know that theology and Bible is only as good as it when the rubber meets the road, and it actually shows up in our everyday life. And so, God, we want you to teach us something that will change Monday through Saturday this morning. May that be the end. May the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth be accepting in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to jump back a little bit in the story and begin this story. It starts as Jesus is entering Jerusalem um, for the last and the final time uh, of his life. Um, as it is on earth, and, and he enters, as we've already heard, he, he enters into Jerusalem, and his disciples are there, and, and others are there, and they've heard about his three-and-a-half-year ministry. They've witnessed um, the, the, the uh, miracles that he's done and the amazing things that have taken place around the person of Jesus and, and how he raised uh, Lazarus from the dead and the girl from the dead, and he's healed the sick and healed the lame who can't walk, and he's given sight to the blind. And, and they, they see Jesus uh, coming in, and he comes in on a donkey, which is a symbol of peace. Um, a king who was coming to conquer was one who would ride in on a war horse. Jesus comes on, on a peaceful donkey, uh, proclaiming that he doesn't come to conquer, but he comes to bring peace. And, um, and ultimately not peace uh, between Rome and, and Israel and, and the people of the Jews, but peace uh, among God and humanity, right? He's coming for that purpose, and, and they didn't really see that at that time, and so they're laying palm branches, and, and they're laying down their clothes and, and as Jesus rides in, and it's uh, this triumphal entry. Um, but the story continues as Jesus, um, throughout that week, he, uh, he spends time in the temple and he does all kinds of things. He teaches, he even runs some guys out of the temple at one point, which is a beautiful picture of what Christ wants to do in our hearts because we are now the temple and he wants to run the money changers out of our hearts, right? He wants to rid the materialistic nature that is in our hearts. He wants to rid us of that. So uh, it's a beautiful picture, but obviously the Pharisees, they don't like that too much because they're uh, imposing on their money making. And, and so Jesus begins to, um, to say the least, to tick some people off within the, which he's already been doing over the past three and a half years, but it's really coming to a head. And, and, and um, uh, we'll pick up uh, when uh, the, the night uh, that Jesus would be betrayed, he calls his disciples, he says, listen, I want you to get this upper room, and we're going to go hang out up there for a little bit, and I want to talk with you guys, and, um, and so his, his, uh, his disciples, um, his closest uh, group there, they, uh, they get an upper room, and, and Jesus goes with them up to this room, and, and, and Jesus begins 
um, doing one of the most uh, uh, amazing pictures of selflessness and humility that we've ever seen, but it pales in comparison of what's coming within the next 12 hours to 24 hours. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, gets on his hands and knees and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, um, uh, if I was talking to my youth right now, I'd say, now these wasn't no feet that had been adorned with Jordans or Kobe's. Or th- those are basketball players, and they got their shoes, and they're really nice. Uh, so, so for us, whatever shoe, whatever nice shoe you wear, that ain't what they was wearing. All right, these disciples were, were young men who had traveled all over the area of Galilee and down to Jerusalem along the same paths that donkeys and camels would walk and release themselves as they walked on. So these were feet that were covered in uh, dirt, but not only dirt, feces from animals. And the king of kings, the creator of this universe, this cosmos, bends down on his, on his knees and begins to wash these feet. Amazing selflessness, but it pales in comparison to what is to come. And so as he's doing this, Jesus is proclaiming what is about to happen over the next 12 to 24 hours. And so he cleans himself up. He cleans himself up and he begins to um, prepare to uh, give this meal, which we call it the Lord's Supper. It's where we get communion from. And, And Jesus begins to break the bread and he says, Listen, this is my body which has been broken for you. And then he said, which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they're hearing this, and the disciples are hearing it, no doubt, but they're not really conceptualizing in their mind and their heart what is coming. They don't understand that within the next 12 to 24 hours, Jesus' body literally will be beaten to as close to death as you can get. And so he breaks the bread and he says, this is my body which will be broken for you. And he pours out the wine, the grape juice, and he says, listen, this is, this is my blood which will be spilled for you. And over the next 12, 24 hours, what Jesus is proclaiming is that, listen, I'm going to take a beating and out of the lashes from my back, blood will pour out for you. Out of the nails in my hands, blood will pour out for you. Out of the nails that are in my feet, Blood will pour out, and it's all for you. And he begins to paint this picture for the disciples of what's, what's to come. And it's at this moment that we meet the first Simon in our story, a guy by the name of Simon Peter. And the title of this message is A Tale of Two Simons. A Tale of Two Simons. And so in this upper room with Jesus and the disciples, we meet our first Simon, Simon Peter. And Jesus begins to proclaim to these disciples, listen, my death is coming. My doom, destruction is here. And that's when, that's when our boy Simon Peter speaks up, as he, as he so often does. He says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Even if it's to your death, I'm with you. I'll go. And so what we see throughout all three of the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke, um, is that each one of them tells uh, this conversation between Jesus and the disciples and um, uh, Simon Peter's response. They all tell it in a little bit different way, which pretty much tells us that that conversation probably happened multiple times that night. Jesus probably was really trying to get it through their thick heads because we're all a little thick-headed. Amen? 
And so Jesus is trying to get it through their heads. Listen, like I'm, y'all think I'm speaking figuratively here, and I am in some ways, but what I'm saying is I'm dying soon. And they're just not getting it, and Peter's definitely not getting it. And every time, Peter's probably like, yeah, that's cool, Jesus, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you, we'll go. I'm going to die with you if that's what it takes. I'll go, I'll follow you anyway. And so in that upper room, um, Jesus uh, feeds uh, these disciples, and, and then he even makes a, a really crazy statement after he washes Judas Iscariot's feet, and after he, he gives him bread, after Jesus serves him, he says, go do what must be done. And Judas Iscariot slides out the back to betray our Lord and Savior. And so Jesus finishes up in this upper room, and um, he begins to, uh, he says, let's go. We're going we're gonna to go out of here, and we're going to head over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, and our Lord and Savior, he, he begins to pray. And, and we, we've heard this, if you've been to church, or you've heard, uh, you've been to Easter service, you've had to hear this at some point. Jesus, he, he prays, and he tells the disciples to pray with him, and, and he cries, and he's, and he's in anguish because he knows, and he, and he refers to this cup, let this cup pass for me. And it's talking, um, it's referring back to the Old Testament, the cup of wrath that he knew. God's wrath on man, on sin, was coming, and he was going to have to swallow that cup he was going to drink it to its dregs praise God he did it for us and he's sweating because he knows what's coming and blood begins to pour out of his pores which we know is an actual medical condition that can happen to someone who's in agony and and, and in fear and anxiety We, we know that it can actually happen and it happened to our Lord and Savior which speaks to his humanity so that he can relate to us we needed somebody who can relate to us and he goes back to his disciples, and they're snoozing, Simon being one of them. I'm going to follow you to your death, but I won't pray with you. So he wakes them up, and he says, pray. An hour's coming, and he, he goes back, and he prays more, and we, we see um, our, our Savior just in, in agony. And we see his disciples, including the first Simon of our story, just snoozing. And then Judas Iscariot in the crowd of uh, uh, of people, the Pharisees, and they're followed by Roman soldiers and guards, and they begin to make their way out of Jerusalem now and, and down into the valley and back up uh, into the Garden of Gethsemane. And the disciples begin to stir a little bit, and Jesus sees them coming, and, and, and Judas walks up to Jesus and, and, um, and, and kisses him. And he had, he had told the Pharisees, the one who I kiss will be this Jesus of Nazareth, and and that's why we say Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. And, and what happens next is Jesus speaks up, and we're told from the Gospel of John that um, he speaks up and he says, who are you looking for? Who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he replies, I am he. And all of the people who came from Jerusalem fall on their backs at the sound of his voice, proclaiming, I am he. See, Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was forced. He went to the cross voluntarily for you and I. And that was a proclamation of his power and yet his selflessness and humility. And so it's at this point in time that we see our boy Simon Peter, he he draws the sword because he's like, all right, it's wartime now. Because they see they had this misconception that Jesus was going to be a warrior king and come and overthrow the Romans. And reinstitute the kingdom of Israel. That's just not the case. 
It was a spiritual kingdom he was instituting. Praise God, because the kingdom of Israel wouldn't help us any. We'd still be lost in sin, wouldn't we? And so, so Simon Peter, he pulls his sword, and he's like, it's wartime, and he, he cuts the ear off one of the Roman soldiers. The first Simon in our story is ready to go to war. Sounds like he might be ready to die, like Jesus had said, huh? Or like he had said to Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him and says, no, 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 no. And he picks up the ear off the ground and he puts it back on the Roman soldier. And I mean, let's just be honest. Like, what does that even look like? Try to picture that in your head. Jesus putting someone's ear back on. Like, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe that. I just know that that's how selfless he was. Uh, he would, listen, this is right after he was just sweating blood and agonizing and, and anxious, scared to death about what was about to happen. He has the wherewithal to care about a Roman soldier who might be one of the very ones who was about to beat him. Man, what a selfless king. So he puts the ear back on, and this is right where we picked up in our reading. And the, and the Pharisees and the Romans guards, they begin to take our Jesus uh, to a guy by the name of Caiaphas' house, a high priest, into Jerusalem. So they head back out of the Garden of Gethsemane, down in the valley, back up into Jerusalem. And they head to Caiaphas, the high priest's home. All the disciples, they, they spread out and dispersed. It says Simon, the first Simon of our story, that he follows behind the crowd. And they arrive at the high priest's home, and, and it's a, it, it must be a, somewhat of a chilly night, so they begin to start some fires to keep warm, and, and so probably so that they could look into um, the, the court proceedings that were about to happen over our Lord and Savior Jesus. And as they get the fire stirring, and, and, and I would imagine there's men down there blowing on the fire, and it's, it's flaming up, and, and Peter says, man, I'd like to get me some of that warmth. And so he heads over to the fire to warm his hands a little bit. And it's at this point, the first Simon in our story is by the fire, and the, and the fire's raging up, and it shines light onto his face, and a, and a girl looks over and sees no doubt that he was probably a gal that he was Galilean. Says, hey, 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 aren't you one of those that follow this guy? And here the first Simon in our story denies and rejects Jesus. Denies ever being in the company of our Lord and Savior. No, you don't know what you're talking about. And a little later he's hanging out by the fire still yet, and a man approaches him and says, hey, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And Peter, Simon Peter, the first Simon in our story, no doubt a little more angry, a little more scared, proclaims, no, no, I'm not one of them. And then after about an hour, Luke says, another man, Approaches Peter. Hey, you're a Galilean. Aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And the first Simon of our story, for a third time, denies ever knowing or being acquainted with the Lord and Savior, the King of Kings. The Son of God by his own proclamation. 
And it's at that moment the rooster crows. And this is what happens in the first time of our story today. He immediately is taken back to just hours earlier when Jesus had proclaimed to him, Simon, I know what you're saying right now, but you'll follow me today. But before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And the guilt and the shame and the brokenness slams Peter the first time he hears it. Have you ever been slammed with guilt and shame because of your own actions? You were actually honest with yourself at some point and said, that's all me right there. That's my sin. I did that. Shame, guilt, and brokenness. It's the first time he hears it. And it's at this point he hears the rooster crow and he looks up in shame and brokenness, maybe thinking, I hope Jesus did not hear me do that. And it's at that point he makes eye contact with Jesus. And I submit to you, friend, that it wasn't It wasn't eyes of judgment and condemnation, but eyes of compassion and love. Eyes that said, Simon, I knew you were going to do this 12 hours ago. And I still washed your feet. I knew you were going to do this and I'm still going to go to the cross for you. But nonetheless, this is the last time we hear about this Simon Peter in our story. Praise God that we, we know from Acts and other places, basically the whole next half of the New Testament, that Simon Peter's story don't end there. But in the crucifixion story, we don't see Simon Peter again. We don't see Simon Peter again. It says that he went out, in verse 62, he went out and wept bitterly. Sometimes that's all we got. You ever been there? Just There's no response. Because of your own brokenness, there's nothing else that you can do but weep bitterly. Oh, we've been there. But the story continues. The story continues as, as um, a Jesus is put on trial and Caiaphas, they, they basically do these trumped up charges on Jesus and um, and. Uh, Caiaphas basically, uh, Jesus says, you say that, I, that I'm he, I, I'm the Messiah, so I must be, yep, he confirms it, and Caiaphas says, that's it, send him to Pilate, and Pilate is this Roman, uh, Roman political leader who, during the time uh, of the Passover, because of the influx of uh, Israelites into the Jerusalem area, he was sent there to kind of help control things, and so they, they travel to Pilate's home, and, uh, or to the Pilate's court. And they take our Lord and Savior Jesus there. And Pilate listens um, to the tri- charges on Jesus, and, and he proclaims him innocent. He says, this, this man's done nothing deserving of death. But the people are pushing, they're pushing, they're pushing. And so Jesus says, or, or Pilate says, listen, 
since he's a Galilean, I'll send him to Herod. And Herod had jurisdiction over the Galilean area. So he says he's just trying to get rid of him. He don't want to make the decision, so he just sends him off to Herod. Well, Herod gets, uh, gets Jesus. They, sit, they, they go off to, to Herod, and Herod proclaims, man, this guy's innocent. He listens to him. This guy's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He's not, he's not imposing on the, on the Romans or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with this man. He's done nothing wrong. But the people keep pushing, so him, he tries to watch his hands of it too, so he pushes him back down to Pilate. And now, now our Lord and Savior Jesus is in the court of Pilate, and Pilate says, man, you know what? You know what I can do? And they actually used to practice this. They, they, this was not uh, an uncommon thing during uh, the Roman Empire and during the Roman rule. Uh, what they would do is if a person, maybe people thought they had done something wrong, um, but they really hadn't, and they pr- uh, presented them innocent, they would beat them just so the person would be extremely cautious in the future. So that's what we'll do. So, so in, in what, what Pilate's in his head, so he's thinking, he's thinking, maybe if I beat Jesus, I mean, to an inch of his life, that the people will finally have compassion on him. And so he, he beats, he has the Roman soldiers beat Jesus um, to, the, to the, I mean, to the edge of his, his very life. And he brings him back out in front of the people, and they're like wolves, man. They taste blood, and they just want more. Let's crucify him, crucify him. And so in one last ditch effort, Pilate's like, listen, I got two guys up here. I'm crucifying one of them, Barabbas, a known murderer. And listen, if he was a known murderer insurrectionist, then not just one murder, he was probably guilty of multiple murders, and um, he was probably over a group of people who had murdered people as well. And so, so he's like, surely they will not pick this beaten battered man who's clearly innocent over this known person who's a murderer and probably has killed some of their family members or instrumentally in the murder of them. And so he presents Barabbas and Jesus before the people and and they say, give us Barabbas. The king of kings, the lord of lords was was traded for a murderer. What a day. What a day. And so Pilate says, he's going to wash his hands of it. He says, his blood's on you. We're going to crucify him, but it ain't on my order. It's y'all's. It's what you want. You can have it. And so it's at this point in time we, begin, we, we get really close to the next assignment of our story. So they prepare Jesus to head to a cross, and they put the cross beam on him. Um, uh, and, and it's just basically it'll be about 40 to 50 pound uh, wooden beam, jagged and rigid. And, and imagine the back of Jesus after being beat with the cat of nine tails and, and having his back just torn to shreds to where you could barely tell he was even human. And, and imagine having a 40 to 50 pound piece of rigid wood on your back on top of that. Not only that, but he hadn't slept in 24 hours. And our Jesus begins um, out of the courts of Pilate, and he takes the journey on the road to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he's beaten, and he's battered, and he's tired, and he has blood loss that we can't even imagine. And he begins to stumble under the 40 to 50 pound weight of the crossbeam. 
And it's it's at this point that a Roman soldier steps in and they actually had the ability to do this. They could commandeer anyone at any point in time to do a service for them and the person had to do it. And he looks up and he sees one Simon of Cyrene. A man who, no doubt by his name, we we know that he was most likely a Jew. Simon is is not common in any other Arab uh, nation around Israel at that time. But he grew up in a place of Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya, this is northern Africa. And so he was probably a Jew from the dispersion, which had happened years before. His family had spent time um, and lived for years, maybe even hundreds of years in Cyrene. And so we imagine that this, um, this man, Simon of Cyrene, he had finally saved up a mo- enough money that he could, he could make the journey back to the promised land. Imagine growing up your life outside of Israel, but an Israelite. And hearing the stories of, of Moses and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and Elijah. And thinking, man, if I could just ever travel to the promised land one time. And so I imagine he saved up money over the years as he worked. And finally, this Simon of Cyrene had got enough money. This was the year he was going to make it to the promised land. And he was going to go during the greatest festival of all, the Passover. So he enters that town that week. And he, he no doubt had plans, right? No doubt, the first time you, you get, he's got sightseeing to do. He's going to go to, to the temple and, and, and check it out and see everything that he had heard about over the years of growing up um, as, a, as, a, as a Jew, as an Israelite young man. And, and he wants to go to Sol- Solomon's portico that he had heard about and all the gold that was there. And, and he wanted to go um, out into the Garden of Gethsemane probably. In all these different areas, he had plans. And it says as he, was, as he was coming in from the country. He was coming in from the country. So he's probably what, what scholars most likely think is that he, because of Passover and how many people were in Jerusalem at the time, he probably was staying with a relative or something right outside of town. And he'd make his journey into Jerusalem every day to, during the Passover. And so it's as this, he's got plans for the day, he's going sightseeing, and it's at that moment he's interrupted, unexpectedly interrupted, going about his everyday things. He's excited about what his day has, has to hold for him. He's got plans, and, and he's going here and there and that and doing this, and he's commandeered by a Roman soldier carry the cross of our Savior. Oh, what an interruption. And this is what begins to happen. He, he steps in and probably reluctantly, most likely reluctantly, and they strap that cross beam to him. And this is, this is what I imagine begins to happen. He begins to walk behind this guy thinking, and listen, to carry a cross is not a, is not a sign of, of great things. It's actually the exact opposite of that. It's humility. And so he begins to carry this cross and says, in verse uh, 26, it says, carry it behind Jesus. So he follows behind Jesus. And and this is where I believe the story gets really, really awesome and interesting. Because as he walks behind Jesus, knowingly, we know that that he 
probably most likely hears Jesus speak at least eight times. The first time, as, as he's walking out behind Jesus, there's these daughters of Israel, daughters of Jerusalem, and, and it says they're, they're crying and, and lamenting. And they weren't lamenting because it was Jesus. They did this for every person who was going to a cross. They were just women who felt sorry for people who were about to die. And so they're crying. And Jesus looks over to those women. He says, listen, listen, don't feel sorry for me. Don't cry over me. Cry over your children and your children's children. For I'm innocent and they're doing this to me. What will it be like for your guilty children? So the first time Simon of Cyrene, he's carrying this cross for Jesus. The first time he hears him speak, he hears him speak selflessness and, 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 a, and a desire to care for others in the worst state that he's ever witnessed a man in his life. The old adage is true, misery loves company. This is the most miserable state a human being's ever been in, and yet Jesus doesn't want people to join in his misery, but he speaks with love and compassion in the midst of his misery. And I imagine at that moment, Simon of Cyrene is like, who is this man, Jesus? This guy's either a lunatic, or he's something special. And so I imagine his curiosity began to, to churn in his, in his heart. He still wasn't really apt and keen on having to carry the cross of Jesus, but he begins to go and he, he reaches Golgotha, and he lays down the cross beam of our Lord and Savior, and he watches as the Roman soldiers bring our Lord over, and they lay him on this cross beam, and they begin to drive nails through the hands of our Jesus Christ. Even more miserable than his previous state. Now he's having stakes driven through his hands. And from that place, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A second time, Simon of Cyrene hears Jesus speak not to ones join me in my misery. But he speaks in the midst of his misery with compassion towards others. Even those who are doing it to him. So we see Jesus speaking with compassion to those who are just indifferent, the daughters of Jerusalem. And now he's speaking compassion and grace towards those who are inflicting the pain on him. And I would imagine at this point, Simon of Cyrene has no clue how to conceptualize who this guy is. But there's lots of things going on. And so now his curiosity is spurred, and, and he begins to think, what, who, what is going on, and why are they crucifying this guy? And so as he, as he begins to look around, I imagine he sees some women over here uh, in the, uh, with a man there, and, and they're, all, they're all calling Jesus by name, and they're weeping and crying. And he looks over here, and there's Roman soldiers, and they begin to uh, gamble over uh, Jesus' clothing. And it's in that moment that he looks up and he sees, he sees Jesus hung up on a cross between these two thieves. And he thinks to himself, well, why is that one talking? And so he begins to inch a little closer to the cross so that he can hear the conversation of this, of this Jesus and these thieves. And he hears one who just joins in the mockery. But then he hears the other. And the other says something extremely strange. He says, he says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And I would imagine Simon of Cyrene standing there by the cross. 
enter into his kingdom. Homeboy's dying. He ain't entering into no kingdom. What are you talking about, Steve? You must be... Listen, the cross is definitely messing with you. And as, as that question begins to churn in his head, uh, he looks up and Jesus begins to raise up on the cross because, listen, one of the most painful things on a cross is to actually take a breath because you have to lift yourself up, which you would be lifting up on nails driven through your feet and your hands. And as you lift just to take a breath, Jesus thought it good enough and important enough to experience more pain so that he could speak to this thief. And out of his mouth, Jesus, again for the third time, speaks compassion and mercy to the thief. He says, listen, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I would imagine Simon of Cyrene at that moment said, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And the questions are spinning in his head. Kingdoms and paradise and who is this man? And he looks over and he sees these women and this, this man over here who are calling Jesus by name. And he's like, maybe they know something about Jesus. So he begins to inch over a little closer. So he can hear what's going on with them. And then he sees Jesus once more lift up from the cross to experience excruciating pain just to speak again. And he looks down and he sees John and his own mother, Mary. Sees his mother, your son, son, it's your mother. Again, compassion comes for the one who's in the midst of the most miserable state anyone's ever witnessed. He has the wherewithal and the compassion to speak. His own mother, John, take care of her. Mom, take care of John. And I would imagine Simon and Cyrene at this moment, like I gotta, I gotta find out who these people are and who this guy Jesus is. And he begins, he begins just to now he's just back in awe and wonder, like, I don't know. This was not the plan for today. I wanted to go to the temple and check it out. But now I have been interrupted and I have experienced the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then it just gets a little better. He watches as Jesus lifts up again from the cross, experiencing excruciating pain. And, and Jesus screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> I would imagine this guy is something else. It just never stops with him. And then Jesus speaks again from the cross. It is finished. What's finished? Simon of Cyrene must have thought. What's finished? And then he hears the last words of our Lord and Savior. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he watches as he gives up his last breath. And then, as we know from other places, darkness falls. Even before this, darkness falls. Graves open up. The veil is torn, and we know what that means. Amen. We don't have a we don't have to have a high priest. Jesus is our high priest. We now get to enter into the holy of holies, every one of us. 
We no longer have to stand at the door of our tent like they did with Moses and watch one enter the presence of God. And I would imagine all this begins to happen and Simon of Cyrene is like, what is, I got to know. And so over the next three days, I would imagine he spent a lot of time with that group of women and that one fellow John asking questions, asking questions. And so my question to you is this, which Simon are you? Which Simon are you? Are we the first Simon, Simon Peter? See, Simon Peter rejected Jesus for fear of the unknown, or to say it another way, lack of trust. Do we constantly, constantly deny the Savior because we just lack trust in him? Does our life look more like that? Or does it look like more like the other? Simon Peter denies Jesus due to a fear of his own life. Are we so set in our ways and so comfortable with the ways we're doing things that we're not okay with stepping outside and risking our own life? Now, I'm not talking about life and death. It was a life and death issue with him. I'm talking about just setting yourself aside. Isn't that what our Lord and Savior did for us? He lived selflessly unlike no man has ever done. Simon Peter denies Jesus due to a misunderstanding of who Jesus was and what it meant to be his follower. And this was a huge one. Because listen, if there's something, if there's one thing I can tell you that, that I know for, for sure about being in the church is that the church at this point, I'm talking about generally in, the, in America, we have massive misunderstanding of Jesus and what it means to be a follower. Massive. We're so compartmentalized, it's ridiculous. I talked to our students just this morning. I said, listen, when you go to math class, what do you learn? Math. When you, go, when you go to English class, what do you learn? English. When you go to social studies, what do you learn? Social studies. When you go to science, what do you learn? Science. Hey, did you know in real life all of those are intermingled and work together? You have no, you, you, the way you've been taught has compartmentalized everything in your life. I only need math when I go to math class. Well, math plays an integral part of geometry, or not geometry, but geography. And you can't explain geography without English. So these things are all interconnected. And so we so compartment, we do the same thing with Jesus. We're like, we'll pick up Jesus when we go to church on Sundays. And I'll tip big on Sunday when I eat. The rest of the week, that's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the, what's beautiful is that the unexpectedness of it. We would think that Simon Peter would be the picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in fact, it's this no-name guy, Simon of Cyrene. We don't hardly know anything about him. Everything I just told you is all speculation, by the way. Oh, I mean, Jesus certainly died on the cross and he said all those things, but Simon being there, I don't know. We would guess that he was. And I'm going to get to that here in a second because there's some really cool things and why I love the Bible so much. 
One thing, second, the second Simon in our story, Simon of Cyrene, listen, he is brought into Christ's company. Remember, uh, Simon Peter rejected the co- having companionship with Jesus. Simon of Cyrene is brought into company. Anybody ever unexpectedly been brought face to face with Jesus? Amen. Every one of you, if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, then you're being introduced to him right now face to face. So this is your first time. Woohoo! Every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've come face to face with him at some point in time of your life. And so did Simon of Cyrene. And listen, it changed his life, no doubt. No doubt. Face to face with Jesus. Secondly, he walked in Christ's steps. It says he followed behind. He followed behind. This is, what, this is what the Bible talks about as a follower, isn't it? Matthew 10, Jesus had already talking about this. Um, he says this, uh, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. It doesn't say that he's semi-worthy or he might be a little worthy. He says he is not worthy of me. See, we, we are real good at like changing lingo. Being like, well, that's what Jesus said, but kind of meant, you know, you, you try your best. Um, Jesus said this, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Argue with Jesus, not me. I'm just telling you what it says. And I, I fail at it too. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not up here. Listen, I, if there's ever a reality that I understand is that I am not up on top of this mountain like throwing you down the rope like, come on. I'm, I'm maybe three foot off the ground looking for the hand grip of next move. Just like you. Right? So this is how this works, though. We, we are to follow Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Did you hear that? Deny himself. Deny himself. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't that what Simon of Cyrene witnessed through eight different statements? No doubt. And Simon of Cyrene carried this cross. He walked in the steps of our Savior. And thirdly, he was linked to Christ's work. And this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, man. This is like where this whole story begins to actually function in everyday life. Listen, God, what time is it? How long have I went? This is, holy cow. I have went a really long time. I apologize. How do I wrap this up? Um, man, I, was, I, was, I apologize to you that um yeah Christ, he's linked to Christ's work listen we don't add to Christ's work we just we get to play a part of it we get to hang on the side and that's beautiful that's beautiful he didn't add anything to the cross or our salvation right we don't add anything to people's salvation all we do is proclaim salvation that's that's what God's called us to that's what that's what God's called us to but yet we live in a self-indulgent generation that wants nothing to do with cross bearing but we want the cross we want the crown Jesus says you got to bear your cross to get the crown. But we want the crown now, and we don't want to bear no cross. That's the problem. That's the problem. Jesus says whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. He does not say that you, you can be my disciple a little bit, or you can, you, it'll be tough for you. He says if you, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is not error. Jesus isn't teaching error. He's not. He's teaching what is true, what is true. And so I, I have to close this up. Simon of Cyrene, right? Well, how do we know what happened with him? 
How do we know what's happening? Well, in, in, in Mark's gospel, he writes to the Romans. Right? His, his ultimate, his primary goal is to write to the Romans. Obviously, it's for all the church. We know that. All right? We'll not get into theological discussion about what the Bible's written to. It's written to everybody. But it had a general audience at its beginning, and his was to the Romans. And when he tells this story about Simon of Cyrene, guess what he does? He mentions that Simon of Cyrene is the, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, how does he know that? Well, because this beautiful picture that we see over in Romans 16. If you go to Romans 16 and look, as Paul is finishing up his letter to the Romans, he says that he's commending all these people, and he says, listen, listen, uh, um, I want you to uh, take care and greet these people. And he says, uh, and he gets all the way down, it's like verse 16 or something, he says, uh, commend my brother Rufus. And, and listen, commend his mother who's been a mother to me. Well, guess who, guess who Rufus's mother was? Simon of Cyrene's wife. Huh. And Paul, the apostle, the greatest missionary the world ever saw, said that she was a mother to him. I would imagine that Simon of Cyrene, this man's life completely changed the day he carried the cross for Jesus. And it's clear from the legacy that his children leave, because we know from history that Alexander actually died as a martyr, I think, in Spain. And his, and his wife was a mother to the Apostle Paul, and his, and his other son Rufus was one of the leaders in the church in Rome. Oh, he left a legacy. What kind of legacy are we going to leave? We don't know nothing about his life, really, but we know that he left a legacy because we know about his children's life and his wife. What kind of Simon are we? Are we the first Simon who denies, or are we the second Simon who picks up the cross and carries it behind Jesus? And is linked to his legacy. Listen, I believe this. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And Satan wants them a lot. How willing are we to go after them? I'll preach for 24 hours about it. I'm not going to. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Lord, I apologize to these people and to you for terrible time that we're in. God, I pray that you just pour this into the depths of someone's heart, Lord, and be with us and let it change our lives. Let us be like Simon of Cyrene.